You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Hey, everyone. I'm Jackie Lewis. Welcome to the third season of Love, Period. In this season, we're exploring what fierce love looks like in a time of trauma, when all around the globe, folks are trying to figure out how to be the best version of human they can be in these difficult and traumatic times. Today, my guest on Love Period is Mirabai Star. She is an author, a teacher, a theologian who works at the intersection often of the sacred feminine and grief. Today, we talked about fire. We talked about fire not only as it relates to the lands burning in New Mexico, the fire that stole my sanctuary, but the fire in our traditions, our spiritual traditions, as symbol. You're going to love this conversation. Mirabai Star, I'm so glad to see you today. Mm, Thank you, Jackie. It's such a joy to be able to play with you. I hope you don't mind my using the word play in these dire times, but I think that's part of the way we thrive is that these heart connections just fill us and keep us going. Absolutely. And just somewhere in my life when I know you're over there in the Southwest doing amazing things and all over the world, putting beautiful love in the world, it makes it a safer place to be when the world feels crazy, Mirabai. Thank you so much for that. Oh, thank you, Jackie. What a beautiful thing to say. Tell me how you've been. I mean, since we saw each other, was that like six months ago? It feels like it was longer, but... Yeah, it it seems like it was late summer, maybe. Yeah, right? Mm -hmm. We were there with Richard Rohr. Uh, Yes, dear Richard. Do you get to see him more than I do? Not as much as you would think, but yes, definitely. There's a there's this thread of connection all the time. Wonderful. He just um, wrote the forward to a to a new book of mine, and I'm writing a forward to a new book of his. And oh, great! It's all this beautiful flow between all of us, Jackie, including you, and that that keeps me going in such a serious way. Serious, maybe is the wrong word. In such a powerful way. No, I think both serious and powerful. Like we are tethered to each other, aren't we? Mm. Tell me from your corner in the world, from your place in the world, your body, your lived experience, what are you seeing right now and how is it impacting you? So here in New Mexico, there are terrible fires raging all around. So I go outside for my daily walk, which is really a hike because I go into, into national forest. We live on the, on the edge of, of national forest. And it's so beautiful to be here in the high desert, the magical high desert of New Mexico. There's a reason that this land is called the land of enchantment and that artists and spiritual practitioners of every tradition have always gravitated to this place. Um, There is a holiness, a sacredness Mm -hmm. to this land that seems to to transcend any, any religious or tribal affiliation. But I, here I am on my walk, and I look to the east, to the southeast, and the sky is filled with billowing clouds of smoke. And it's tinged with, with pink, so the flames are just behind it. It's that close. Like, I always feel like I have a little cough these last 
these last couple of weeks because the air is just filled with particulates. And I think about not only the people who have been displaced, thank God nobody has has been injured or, or God forbid, killed, but the animals, you know, I've been asking my friends in like the forestry service, where do they go? Where do the animals go? And the answer is something like they know how to run. They know how to fly. Mm -hmm. They know how to burrow. They know how to get away for the most part, but some of them don't. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, that's just been haunting me in these weeks of fire. But fire is such a metaphor across the spiritual traditions, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it is. We see it in, in mystical Judaism, in Christian mysticism, in Sufism, which is the mystical branch of Islam, in Hinduism, in the form of Shiva and even Kali. And in all the spiritual traditions that I love so much, as you know, I'm kind of spiritually promiscuous. <laughs> I love that when you say that. <laughs> all the mystical traditions ha- use the element of fire as a metaphor for transformation. And that's not comfortable. In so many ways, Jackie, tell me if you see it too. I see that these are times of fire that we're in. And fire is transformation. And that doesn't mean we can spiritually bypass or should or are allowed to, (laughs) frankly, the pain of it. There are little animals that are going to, to not be able to escape these forest fires here in New Mexico. And there are aspects of our humanity that are suffering and crumbling under under the weight of the flames of injustice that are raging across the planet right now. When you speak that truth, it just feels so deeply true to me that we actually are not going to escape being scorched, singed, made hot, uncomfortable. And sometimes aspects of us, you know, destroyed by the fires that are burning. Part of the reason fire transforms is it it does take us down to something elemental, to the ashes, if you will. God, I don't love the way I said that, but it's true. <laughs> so, <laughs> Mirabai, you are spiritually, I'm going to say, dexterous, not promiscuous, but okay. both flexible, nimble. You know these things. Can you say a little more about the way fire shows up in these traditions that many of our listeners won't know about as much as you do. Can you say, just pull a couple of those threads of fire transforming out for us some? Mm. Well, one of the ways it shows up in the mystical traditions, fire, is the fire of longing for Mm. God. Mm -hmm. The burning yearning for union with the beloved. And we see that especially in in the so-called Abrahamic traditions of Judaism, Christianity, and and Islam, but mostly the Sufi aspect of Islam. And that's what I relate to so much, that um, my namesake, Mirabai, was a 16th century South Asian bhakti poet from India. Mm. Bhakti is the path in Hinduism of devotion, There are these different yogas, right, in in Hinduism. Karma yoga is the path of action. Bhakti yoga is the path of love and devotion. 
jnana yoga is the path of contemplation and philosophy and study, studying the sacred scriptures. And it's said in Hinduism that each of us is temperamentally oriented primarily toward one of the yogas more than the others, uh, but that they, they're all paths. Yoga means path to union. They're all alive in all of us. So in the bhakti path, Mirabai was a poet. It's interesting to me anyway, that Mirabai was a contemporary of Teresa of Avila. Ooh, that is interesting. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. They didn't know each other and they didn't know of each oh, wow. other. Huh. But one was in Spain and one was in India. And they are the two, they're my two girls. They are the ones that guide me and hold my hand as I walk through this world. Teresa of Avila had the great privilege of translating from 16th century Spanish to, a, I hope, a contemporary accessible English. And Mirabai was the person I was named after, not by my parents, by the way, but by Ramdas, the great contemporary um, American spiritual teacher and who died just a few years ago and has been my lifelong friend and mentor. When I was 14, Ramdas gave me that name after I I was the lead in a play written by students, um, kids, about the story of the life of Mirabai from a comic book from India. And I identified so much with Mirabai and that fire of Mirabai's yearning for Krishna, who is the God of love in the Hindu tradition, really resonated with me. I think that the reason that fire of, of longing, that burning yearning for union with God was so real for me was that when I did that play, when I was Mirabai in this musical dance drama that we created uh, here in Taos, New Mexico, when I was 14, I had just experienced the, the sudden death in a gun accident of my first love, my boyfriend, Philip. You know, 14, your first love. It was it was not bearable. Uh, well, you know, I live here in a rural rural part of the world and people have guns to for various reasons. It was a rifle. It was a 22 rifle that that Philip and his brother were using to shoot at coyotes that were chasing their chickens. Oh, my and goodness. His brother dropped the gun. It was a freak accident. And so I couldn't bear it. And I had to bear it. And stepping into the role of Mirabai, who was on fire with longing for God, when I was burning with grief and trauma um, in the loss of my, of my love, it just came together in that moment in such a way that the, that the space that Mirabai opened of the broken open heart, mm -hmm. the yes. shattered heart that becomes boundless has boundless capacity for holding what is what is sometimes includes the unbearable that marked my spiritual path i think i i really seriously began my spiritual path at that time when i was 14 i began meditating and practicing yoga and studying sacred scriptures from all the world's traditions i reclaimed the the judaism that my parents had rejected there were many spiritual um, treasures that entered even in the shattering that I was mm. experiencing. And death has continued to be a source of transformational fire uh, in my life. And it's why I, re I relate to the mystic poets of all traditions, because they unfailingly 
<laughs> inevitably. Unflinchingly. <laughs> well, they use fire as a metaphor in yes. their poems. You know, living flame of love, John of the Cross. Uh, and and wounds, you know, the metaphors of wounds. For Teresa of Avila, she called it the beautiful wound. For Mirabai, it was the traditional kind of classic moth, the moth that d- flies directly into the flame. Or sometimes she, she speaks of the lotus that swallows you whole. I'm so glad you put some of that poetry, those images in our hearts today. I know you lost your daughter, and that's another kind of the wounding, uh, the shattering of your heart nearby, right, that makes space for holding all the, all the things, all the love. I'm thinking about, can what you're talking about, those experiences, can we resource the, the nation, the world, a shattered, broken-hearted world, Mirabai, can we bear to even say, we who are human, how brokenhearted we are, that the land is burning? New Mexico, Colorado, that the oceans are toxically filled with plastic, that the polar ice caps are melting, that some are saying we have 10 years, 10 years to fix this, and some are saying we can't. That's one grief that just sometimes I can hardly look at it. I, I promise you I can hardly look at it. And then there's just, have we ever, let me sure we have. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a woman of a certain age who's watched Kennedy killed, Kent State, Pettus Memorial Bridge, violence against, you know, black folks, um, the images of Emmett Till and black bodies swinging like strange fruit on trees. Like, I have all of that, like you have all of that in our bones. Can we say, though, that this is a particularly acute, hot mess, crazy time? Can we bear to describe how much we're grieving? Can we bear to look at it? Can we name these fires as possibly transformative? You know, what do you think? You mentioned the death of my daughter. And so when I say what I'm going to say in response to that question, I feel trust that I'm not just checking out of reality because I haven't suffered. She has suffered, (laughs) y'all. She is not checking out, right? Yeah. So there's something about the sacred feminine, you know, that I think you so beautifully embody, Jackie. That you know, it's very interesting to me that the title of of your latest book, Fierce Love, is kind of the subtitle of my latest book, uh, Wild Mercy. Yes, it's, the subtitle is Living the Fierce and Tender Wisdom of the Women Mystics, and so I feel very connected to you in in that reclamation, that reclaiming of both the fierce and the tender, the the broken and the powerful completely integrated into this moment and into our vast, I'm going to use the term feminine heart, and please know everyone that I'm not speaking about women's bodies and men's bodies and and non-binary bodies necessarily. I'm speaking to people of all genders who carry that fierce and tender feminine wisdom and that longing for the, for the feminine right now as as a, a potent antidote to 
the brokenness of this world. One of the things about the great mother is that she does not turn away from suffering. She does not run away. She does not excuse it. She doesn't um, try to put a, a pretty spin on it. She gathers the brokenness into her arms and leans in and listens. And so, so much of bearing the unbearable right now, globally, collectively, which we're all being invited to do perhaps as we've never been before, is to first allow ourselves to feel it, feel it individually mm -hmm. and model what it's like to say, yes, this is, this is unbearable. And also to model it collectively, to do it collectively, to know that we can't possibly bear it on our own. We have, we have to do it together with each other with people who are very different from us. And we also have to call upon, well, for me, it's now, even if it's in my imagination, Jackie, I'm calling upon the great mother. Like, oh yeah, not only do I not have to do this myself, I can't do this myself. She's got me. She's got us all. She's got to be the one who enables us to bear the unbearable and energizes us with the exact particulars that are ours to be able to do something. Like I think we each, Jew, Jewish mystical wisdom says that we are each imprinted the day we are born with what is ours to do to mend the broken world. It takes a long time to discover it sometimes, but we're, we each have a particular blueprint for tikkun olam, for the, for the repair of the world. Sometimes we need each other to, to help see what is ours to do when it may not look at all like somebody else's or like our preconceived notions of what activism, for instance, is supposed to look like. The expression tikkun olam, I don't remember which, maybe it was Rabbi Kushner's How Good We Have to, How Good Do We Have to Be, maybe that book, I don't know when in seminary I got like, oh my goodness, that's the whole ball game right there. <laughs> you know, like, that's it. To heal the world. And I think in my particular writing, I've paired to heal the soul and the world. Maybe when I was younger, Mirabai, I'd think, well, this and this. But now I'm like, my soul is the world and the world is in my soul. Mm. So it's one project. And I, when I say that to you right now, I force back tears of how when you know that, when we, when we lean into how we're inseparable from the great mother, the universe, the land, the, the stuff, the trees. Uh, Suge Avery says, I knew then when I cut a tree that I would bleed, which is Alice Walker's way of talking about what we're talking about. I feel so brokenhearted, friend. I feel so sad about feeling like things are kind of falling apart. Can we find our way? Like, my grandson, Octavius, is two, and we were all together for Mother's Day for a little while. And he was just standing, kind of talking to us as we were saying goodbye. And something happened. We, I still don't know exactly what it was now. I think he pinched his finger on something that he could reach, and he looked so afraid, and then he, like, came to me and cried. You know, and then he then he reached out for my husband John and cried. You know, and then he went to his mom and cried. Oh, 
time, it was just, it was like, it was like this beautiful boy, you know, binding us all together, like, comfort me, damn it, you know? And, and I wonder if there's this place in our humanity where we could all be, you know, a two-year-old yearning for the love, for the, for the lean in dudes, lean in women, lean in y'all, lean in everybody to the love we know we need and see if it heals us. Is that, is that it? When I saw him moving among us, I was like, I cannot wait to preach that boy's story, right? Okay, see, you couldn't wait to preach that boy's story. That's it, Jackie. It's those moments when we it, um, reveal our vulnerability to each other. The world is burning and I can't stand it. How about you? You know, where we just tell the truth about it that become the transformational energy to actually change it. I don't know. It sounds like magic, but I see it happening. Even you're telling us all that story about your grandson, Octavius, right in this moment is shifting something in us. And I have to believe that our truth telling about our pain and about our, the, the silly, wonderful, ridiculous things that, that, happen in against all odds bring us joy these are the things that actually make a difference and i think our mechanistic teleological world model has taught us to think that if we're not engineering specific solutions at every moment we're failing and and that is denying the feminine the creative the generative the the power of not knowing mystical power of not knowing and the practical power of dismantling our opinions on the matter and allowing ourselves to just show up with with what is. I'll share a story with you that just happened, um, my Octavia's story, which was that a, a couple of weeks ago, maybe three or four weeks ago now, some friends of ours were going to Poland to help Ukrainian refugees at the border. And they asked me for a copy of my book, Wild Mercy, in mm -hmm. Russian. Wow. I, you know, I have all the different, you know, on my shelf, just different translations and different languages that I don't speak. I was like, yes, of course, take it. Because one of the, of the couple spoke, read Russian. That was her first language. So she wanted to read it on the plane. So she did. When they got to Poland and they were, at the border, they were at a train station. They were at a McDonald's at a train station in Poland. And she had the book with her. And there was a there was a young woman there who was a refugee from the Ukraine um, who was alone. And and it was cold and and she had, you know, her little backpack and not very much. She would look like she was in her 20s. She was in her 20s. Um, bright dyed pink hair. And they got to talking and and they had a very deep soul conversation. And they and she spoke English, and the, but she her first language was Russian. So they they said, hey, maybe you'd like to read this book that we just read. On, the woman had just read on the plane, and she said, thank you. Well, it turned out I found out a couple of weeks later that that book accompanied this young woman on her entire journey to to safety in Germany. She ultimately uh, settled in Germany for now. And she was scared and alone and cold and guilty, guilty about leaving her family in the Ukraine. You know, they said, go, go. But she left them all behind in Kiev. And it, this book was um, a refuge for her. 
And ultimately she connected with, they connected us. And now we're in communication and she was telling me how that book accompanied her and how it helped her, well, she said saved her even. And you know, Jackie, what it's like when people say your work makes a difference. It's so joyful. And now I'm going to be sharing her with my community. She's agreed. We're going to have some kind of social media um, profile for her and for this story of love between us. And she's not religious. She's not at all religious. But somehow the the women mystics across the spiritual traditions and the power of the ordinary as sacred ground spoke to her the the power of beauty and meaning in our human lives um, that's what spoke to her so that makes a difference it made a difference for her it makes a difference for me and i'm hoping it'll make a difference for my community Is there life after doom? Explore the complexity of hope and grief at our upcoming event, Courage and Resilience, an online gathering with Brian McLaren. Unpack themes from Brian McLaren's new book, Life After Doom. Discover how to find courage, even when everything may feel hopeless. Join us live on May 17th at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. All those who register will have access to the recorded replay for one year. Register at cac.org courage. That's a very powerful story. Um, you know, I think your book was her transitional object, right? A psychologist might say, you know, the, this book represents something. The words in it and the book and you now are all connected to, connected to her in that moment. And I find myself thinking, you know, there's this book party last night at Middle. Lots of people that we love, Valerie Kaur and Wajahat Ali, and folks were all, like, they're talking about their books. There's something about the power of stories, right? There's something about the power of stories that can unlock our imagination for each other's reality and also for what's possible. So when I say, what do you see? And you, you start by describing the fires and the soot in the air. Like, I see it, you know? I see it, and my heart is cracked wide open where yours is. If someone says, this Roe v. Wade leak is killing my soul, I can have my heart cracked wide open. It's killing my soul, not just because of what it stands for in terms of, you know, abortion rights and body autonomy, but also a kind of wholesale assault on freedoms that just makes me want to just crawl in a hole and cry for hours. I'm thinking about, Mirabai, how I hope this podcast, but what are the but what are also just the ways we can have more love talk, more mercy talk. My little bit of Hebrew reminds me that um, the words for mercy and womb have the same root, right? That's right, in both Hebrew and Arabic. In Arabic, yeah. Wow, right? Even just that, like those kinds of, you know, plot points that could help people go, oh, wow, womb, mercy. That's why feminine, divine. Oh, you know, that's why the mother. Oh, that's good. I don't have to be, you know, whatever, all the ways people want to cling to the images of God that they grew up with or something, right? Like, so I'm, I'm rambling a little bit to get to what are some ways, Mirabai, that you and I in our work can help more people feel the longing for that sacred love touch, um, the merciful goodness 
that resides in the universe, and maybe also how they can see themselves as part of it. I think that's the movement I want to have happen is for that kid, you know, with his pants down, (laughs) his Doc Martens on, and that older woman who's afraid and lonely, for them to feel like they're part of an organism that is a loving, pulsing, merciful reality. Is that too ambitious on my part? Yeah, <laughs> that's beautiful. No, I think you you're you've named it. It's there's something inherently feminine about storytelling. Like it doesn't have to be for a purpose. It can just be to fill our hearts and make the the night less dark around us. As we sit around the fire and tell our stories. So if we can lift each other's stories, you know, it's interesting. I read a lot, like you do, and um, I have gotten to the point. I've actually been here for quite a while where I can't bear to read books that aren't laden with story. Like I can't just read theology mm-hmm. or social commentary or political commentary, philosophy. I'm a, I was a philosophy ma- major in graduate school. I can't do it anymore. Abstract concepts just leave me cold. Even science writing that isn't, drenched in poetry because science for me can be so powerfully poetic. I can't do it. Beauty. I guess that's what I'm saying. Beauty and, and the power of authentic truth-telling stories is what feels to me like the life-giving elixir right now, not just for myself, but for the, for the world. And there's so much good writing coming out of people's raw, authentic experience right now. I mean, I'm, I'm re- I just finished Somebody's Daughter. I'm reading um, This Here Flesh. Mm, These isn't that daughters. beautiful? Ooh, ooh, oh, my ooh. God. Embodied writing. Just heard an interview with Ocean Vuong on, on Fresh Air. It was just, it just, it's exactly what I'm talking about, the transformational power of our stories. I'm convinced, Jackie, that this is the healing, this is the medicine um, that we need right now. And it has everything to do with releasing our preconceived notions of what activism, what helping, what, yeah, fixing looks like. I love it. I think it's really true. I think think stories are the healing bomb and making space for them grows empathy, it changes our minds, stretches our hearts, gives us new worldviews, new energy for each other. I agree with you that there's something inherently feminine about it. And it then just does make me want to ask, can the ones who are male-identified embrace their anima? Anima is the feminine. Can they embrace that? Can they embrace the feminineness that is nurture, mer- mercy, kindness, I'll hold you when you're crying. How, how can we, how does that work in terms of, one, breaking down our binaries, because I, I can go there, but also inviting the male-identified ones in our worlds to lean into the softness of that kind of fierce love? I will say that I see it happening, and it gives me great heart. So many of of the men that I admire and resonate with have been doing that for a while. Um, but I have watched men with privilege and power voluntarily abdicating that uh, advantage and handing, well, just get, just shutting up and 
not just like handing us the mic as if um, that they were doing us a favor, you know, but but just making space for for people of all genders to have a chance to to speak. So I'm seeing that happening, but I'm also seeing a lot of men modeling this this beautiful balance of protectiveness and vulnerability mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that I see as, as uniquely feminine. I mean, we are, even those of us who are not biologically mothers, which is in no way a measure of our of our feminine power, yes, our our legitimacy. For those of us who are not biologically mothers, there's still this kind of way in which we, all female-bodied persons, embody fierce protectiveness and tender vulnerability. And so why not male-bodied or non-binary people as well? Um, I think that this comes back, Jackie, to what we talked about with, with, being exemplars for each other, you know, that the more men see other men stepping up in that way as the loving, protective mother and without um, sacrificing their authenticity, it's fire again that will catch. I love that. I'm thinking about this kind of, you know, crazy traumatic time and thinking about how, what we need you know, what we need to survive, to heal, to thrive. When I listen to you, I think, what if we all felt that we were all the mother? You know, what if we all felt that we were the nurturing, mothering presence and just had a piece of it to do? Which I think your work is calling us into, you know, everybody has a piece to do. Thank you, Jackie. And you know, it's I think it's really important for everyone to just take a breath and remember that this does not require perfectionism and purification and self-flagellation. I, I remember going to see <laughs> Little Women with my daughters when it first came out, I don't know, 20 something years ago, that new new version. I was so mad because they made Marmy, the mom, look like this perfect specimen of womanhood and motherhood and and I knew I could never measure up and I and so let's banish those patriarchal boy-shaped models of what pure and perfect means um and that the the perfect nurturing mother for all of us is going to be eccentric she's going to be um needy sometimes she's going to have have neuroses, <laughs> be selfish <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that all we get to be exactly as we are. I think that's the call, Jackie, is how do we bring exactly what we are to the table? How do we trust that imprinted on our souls is is just what is needed, that we are not too much and we are enough exactly as we are. Boy, that is the hardest thing because we are conditioned by all the religious um, structures to have this concept of of what a saint is, what a mystic is, what a perfected human being is. And it's not possible, but what we have is what is needed. What we are is what is wanted. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's such an important thing. When I talk about my book now, Fierce love. And I started in that section about love yourself. People will say, Huck, why did you start there? I say, first of all, because we don't. 
So how are we going to be of any good to anybody? I mean, I mean, I don't understand it. So this idea of I am enough, I am enough, and I'm also exactly what's needed. What a beautiful, important starting place that is for the revolution that we need so desperately. You're okay. You're great. And you're, and you're not. <laughs> and you're flawed, and that's beautiful. And you're gifted, and it's sufficient. I have been a journey to, to that Jackie for my life, my whole life. And I, I don't think I'm fully there, but I have more days than not where I think this is all it is. And that's good enough. And I am enough. And y'all who know me, my next project is, therefore, how do I behave loving myself better for me? Not for you to watch me, but for me to stop talking <laughs> at the end of the day, to say no sometimes as a holy act of resistance, to lean into all the other people who can do the thing. I'm doing so much better at that. Giving things away uh, to my team who are beautiful. I just can't, girl. It's not sustainable. That's what I'm trying to say. It is not sustainable the way we've been wired to be frantic and frenetic and busy and everywhere and ugh, all the things. Yes. Can we just all take a breath and, and tag in and tag out of this river that is in motion? I'm really leaning on that, Mirabai, and you're going to hold me accountable. We said that before to each other. Like, did you, did you breathe? Like, did you breathe today? <laughs> I was just going to say that as you're saying that, I'm talking about your project, I'm like, oh, I've got you, Jackie. I've got you. <laughs> we can do it, right? <laughs> do this. Oh, my gosh. Mirabai, what's one thing that you want to make sure that the people who are in our communities who will hear this take away for just, you know, a, a, a hymn says, for the living of these hours. A poem might say, for the facing of these days. Maybe I would say, just to inhabit this moment. What can we do to more fully live with fire, Mirabai? Well, you asked for one thing, but I'm going to cheat and give you two. I've been thinking as we've been talking about something that Andrew Harvey says, which is that we may not um, actually make it through times. Mm. And what does it feel like to just be with that? What he says is, and if that's the case, our task is to be midwives for the deaf and to stand up and lovingly tend and hold each other in the dying. You know, whether that's a literal dying of our species or not, many species are dying, or just the death of all of our structures and systems, that that's what we're asked to do is to be steady, loving, awake, humorous, creative, gentle people for each other. That really revolutionized my consciousness when he said that. The other thing I would say is even if you live in a city, even if you're not able to walk, connecting with nature every day in some way, even if it's just opening a window and feeling the, the air on your face, some connection with our mother, the earth, um, on a regular basis is vital, I think, for navigating 
this wilderness of our times and resourcing ourselves and each other. I love that. There's something in um, in both of the things you're saying that makes me think about surrender. Um, we might not make it. How do we midwife that? Leaning on, you know, this story is in my brain when you're talking about being a little one next to my mom on a pew at church when I'm going to take Eucharist for the first time, communion for the first time. Everybody, that's a little Passover meal <laughs> happening on Sunday morning, okay? But the first time, the you know, the bread is coming, she goes, you know, this bread means God will always love you. Mm. And the cup is coming, and she says, this cup means God will never leave you. And I have, oh. right? God will always love you and will never leave you. That's it. The, the mother will never leave you and will always love you. And though my mom is gone physically, I've never been sure than I am today about life after death, thereby. Mm. Like, I can feel her shoulder on my face. I can smell her Wimsong and Ultra Sheen. I can hear her. So there's something about surrendering to the truth of the presence of the love, right? Like, mm. it's here. Yes. If we want to feel it, I think. I think you're magical. <laughs> Does Mirabai mean magical? I don't know. But I think you are. <laughs> you're so good to talk to and so wise. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, such a joy to be with you. Even if this is all we get, it's it's more than enough. And to be with all of you, thank you so much. Thank you for playing with me today. Appreciate you. You're welcome. Thank you for listening today. In my conversation with Mirabai Star, I found myself thinking about what I found in the fire. The fire, literally, that stole my sanctuary. The fire of these last few years in the public square. And the spiritual fire that sometimes drives me into the streets to raise my fists and demand justice. And other times causes me to sit quietly and pray. So where are the fires burning in your life? And how are they transforming you? 